I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. Before we get to today's guest, I want to thank our sponsors at Dr. Dish Basketball. Hopefully by now you've heard about the brand new Rebel Plus and All-Star Plus models. Both models come with a built-in 8-inch touchscreen, which allows your players to track and see their stats, as well as view online shooting and ball handling drills. These machines are so much more now than just rebounding and passing machines. Find out more about these new cost-effective models, visit drdishbasketball.com. That's drdishbasketball.com. We're privileged today to have with us Coach Aaron Fernandez. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Coach, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Why don't you start by just kind of giving listeners here just kind of a quick basketball bio on yourself? Yeah, sure. So uh, I've been at every level now from like third grade teams through D1. Uh, Most recently, I was the women's basketball director of player development at Davidson College uh, last year. A year before that, I was at Mars Hill University, a D2 school in Asheville, just north of Asheville, North Carolina, um, as the assistant turned interim head coach there. And then before my kind of experience in college, um, I was a longtime high school coach. So from age 18 to uh, 27, I was coaching high school basketball on the men's side for the first part of my career. And then one year on the women's side as a head varsity coach before stepping in the college ranks um, and coached some youth teams. Uh, in between there too, from third grade to sixth graders. So kind of been all over the uh, kind of basketball spectrum, men's men's side, women's side, you know, little kids up to D1 um, and everything in between. So hopefully, hopefully kind of my experience um, in that regard, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out from different areas and, and levels. So uh, hopefully that's, it's been very beneficial for me to have, had all those experiences uh, to be able to talk about uh, whatever level people are coming from and, and to talk with them on that. So, Yeah, for sure. I mean, even, you know, being, being a younger coach and then being able to already have experienced the, the different levels, I think that can provide even with our conversation today, some uh, different viewpoints, both from, you know, the men's and the women's game as well as the different age groups. And so uh, those that listen to this podcast know we we try to go kind of deeper into things without talking for hours on end. And so I want to give Coach an opportunity here. We're going to talk primarily with about small-sided games, something that he and I both enjoy i think something that we we've spent a lot of time looking into becoming more popular obviously in today's game and in coaching today's game and how we set up our practices and we'll talk a little bit about all of those things let me just start with this because it's a term 
whether it's the small side of games or people will see it on Twitter as SSG and, oh, that means that, you know, there's there's people playing against each other and everybody likes playing without playing 5-on-5. But if I were to ask you, Coach, a technical definition of a small-sided game or the technical definition for a, a small-sided game, what would you say? Yeah, so I, I would say that it's really two criteria for me to, to define something as a small-sided game. First of all, it's, it's randomized. So uh, when I say randomized, drills, uh, practice activities are broken down into uh, two groups. It's blocked practice and random practice. Blocked what you would think of as traditional type drills like three-man weave, zigzag drill shell drill anything that that is kind of predetermined that doesn't really have a game context per se so a small side of game is random in that uh, all kinds of things that can happen within that within that construct and uh, there's nothing that's really predetermined for the outcome so the players are in control of whatever is going to happen um, and then second to me it's just anything that's under five on five so that replicates uh, any aspect of the game it doesn't have to be fancy either. So like one of my favorite games, small side of games is three on three with just different constraints uh, that we use to shape kind of the way that we want to approach uh, whatever we're working on in that specific drill. So uh, it's something that's random uh, and variable that has a, a bunch of different things that can happen. But then it's just any kind of game that you're playing or drill that you're playing. It's random. That's under five on five where people are getting more touches than they would in a five on five full court kind of scrimmage segment. If somebody, if a coach heard that and somebody that didn't know about small-sided games heard you say it's more random and the players are in control, yeah, they would probably be a little bit nervous about that, I would guess. Sure. What, yeah, what sure. Yeah. In response to that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I completely understand. I know that uh, sometimes I think there's a misconception that as coaches that we've been taught that we have to control everything. and. We, we are still in control and that we are designing an environment um, for our players to learn in. So it's not that we're necessarily relinquishing control in that way. We're still, we're still targeting and guiding them uh, along this kind of path of this self-discovery, more so than us giving them the answers or setting up, or setting up a drill where they have to do everything in, a, in an exact way. We're allowing them to kind of formulate their own answers. And if you know anything about you know, teaching, I'm, I'm a teacher as well. So anything about pedagogy, it's that when kids self-discover or when people self-discover something, uh, it sticks better. And that's kind of what we'll get into with this is why this is kind of the best way, I think, to approach kind of skill acquisition um, and skill development and, and practice design. So. so when did you start using it? I'm assuming that this is something maybe even going back to your playing days. Was this something that, that your coaches used or was it something that maybe you, you found out a little bit later? Yeah. So surprisingly enough, um, I, I grew up in a very traditional uh, kind of practice environment from the time I was little all the way through high school. You know, it was all the traditional drills that you could think of, uh, scrimmage segments, maybe like one or two trips and then stop. And those were mainly at the end of practice after we got through every single fundamental drill, you know, our ball handling, our passing, our defensive slides, our shell drill all those kind of traditional drills every single day to be fundamentally sound, quote unquote. And then we, whatever time we have left, we may scrimmage for a few minutes. And that's how like I coach. the reward at the end, right? Right, right. It's the reward. The end, right? So we if we, if we're not, if we're not improving in our fundamentals and we're messing up these drills, then we're not going to get to play. Uh, right. So kind of counter is very counterintuitive now, but at the time, that's the way I thought you coach. And, and that's not a knock on any of the coaches I had. 
those are the way that's the way they were coached as well right so it was kind of it's kind of this cycle that happens and uh, so I started coaching like I said earlier when I was 18 when I graduated the assistant I played under became the head coach I went to college nearby so I just stayed on his staff and we kind of inherited a rebuild situation we were we were really bad when I was in high school so we continued to kind of uh practice the same way we we where we uh were kind of forward trying to be more forward thinking in the practice way is we kind of loosening some of the restrictions. The, the old coach was very strict, um, ex-military guy. So kind of loosening those restrictions to create a more fun environment for more players to come out. But we didn't necessarily um, change the way we practice, still practice the same way. Um, and we actually played, we actually did really well for the first four years of this kind of rebuild capping it with a, a 24 win season, which is the most in school history still. And then we lost all those players. They all graduated. So the next two years, we won like like five and forty or something, or no, we won ten games, so like ten five and twenty every year or both years. And we decided, look, we, we have to change something, uh, or we're not we're not going to be around much longer if we don't. And you know, our kids are not having fun anymore, and this is just not fun. So we just started doing kind of our own research. I tried to dig back in my PE background, so I'm a PE major, understand why our teaching and practice was not transferring uh, to games and. I discovered guys like Brian McCormick, um, Chris Oliver, whose camp I had worked and kind of spurred along my thinking as well. Trevor Reagan is another, uh, you know, big influential person from Train Ugly, and and John Carrier was another coach I reached out to, who's very active on Twitter. Um, you guys can find him, and uh, they all introduced us to kind of this stuff in their own way, um, in their own resources um, that we kind of acquired and. You know, we, we just kind of rolled with it and we're like, hey, we had another young group coming in that we felt like could be talented. And so we just decided we're going to compete in practice. We're going to play in practice. And we want to learn. It was also because we want to learn how to win again and how to compete again. And small sided games give you that opportunity in practice to compete constantly. And to be honest, it was the best decision we ever made. Completely transformed our program, the competitiveness, the fun, the intensity, you know, everything drastically improved. So I went back and looked to see from 2009 when, when I first started coaching to, and being an assistant, when we made this, let's say before we made the switch, we were 76 and 80 from 2009 to 2000. And that would have been 2015-ish. Since then, and now I, I left a couple of years after we implemented, but the coach is still is still there and he still runs the same stuff. Since then, 86 and 49. So 76 and 80, you know, just below 500 with two really awful seasons to 86 and 49. And just much more consistency uh, has come from that. So there's not these ups and downs. It's just no matter what he loses or, or what the expectations are, they're just very consistent. Um, I took it with me to the next school that I went to as a high school coach. I switched to the women's side and we went 20 and seven uh, with implementing this approach. And that was the most wins uh, in over a decade for for the girls program there. When I went to the college level, it was much harder to implement because where I was, we were short scholarshiped. We were practicing. We had some injuries before the season even started. We were practicing with like three to five players, playing with seven or eight, sometimes playing with six. Like uh, so, we didn't have a lot of success necessarily at the college level with it, with this with the low numbers. But um, I definitely know from my experience that this is the right way to approach kind of your practice and skill development. What was the feedback from the players, especially the ones oh, that yeah. maybe had been a part of the program when you did all the losing? Yeah, um, they absolutely loved it. So our commitment uh, went through the roof. I, I know specifically there's an example I like to share where it was a snowing and the kids, uh, this was like the, I think this was actually the first year we did, first or second, it was early kind of in this process. And uh, it was a snow and they were worried they were going to have to leave school early. And if they leave school early, we weren't going to get the practice. 
And they were like, man, we still got to practice. Like, so black team had lost to like yellow team the day before, and they were going to be in the same team as the yellow teams. Like, Hey, we, we want another crack at, at, at black team. Like we, you know, don't, don't send us home. Like let's not, we don't want school to be canceled. So it was like this, just, it just really energized our program. Like I said, the commitment level went through the roof because it, it created a more autonomous environment too, where players knew they were coming in to make their own decisions, to control their kind of destiny within these games, instead of us just simply setting up drills for them to kind of mindlessly go through. Um, there was this more of a, more of an ownership that occurred uh, over that time as well. So that was another kind of side benefit. What does this look like during practice? Because I think that some people get this idea that you mentioned three on three. That Okay, so we're just playing three on three and it's a bunch right. of random and I don't like maybe we accomplished what I'm trying to accomplish and maybe right. we don't. Yeah. So the way we approach it was we would come into kind of our pre-practice meeting um, sometime maybe during a lunch break or the night before or whatever. And we would say, hey, what do we need to work on tomorrow or today? And let's say we would we would pick out maybe three things that we need to work on offensively, defensively or whatever. And we would say, okay, well, how can we put those in a game? Or is and we would have a small. Obviously, we had gotten a lot of small sided games from from various uh, sources. But do we have a game in our arsenal, or do we have something within three on three that we can put a constraint on that we can utilize to work on this specifically? So, for example, early in the season, we may say, all right, we, we really need to get our our on ball like our ball screen defense uh, is something we really need to focus on. So, all right, we want to be really good at this. We want to we want to make sure we get this in. We're going to play three on three where the offense can only score or they get extra points for scoring off of ball screen. So they're really just trying to run ball screen, ball screen, ball screen. Um, well, that puts our defense in a position now where they got to defend ball screen, ball screen, ball screen. We would essentially just take about 30 seconds to just show really quick, this is what our ball screen coverage is going to look like. All right, so we're not, not everyone is getting in reps for this. Now we're just, we're going straight into the game and we're playing three on three ball screen. And the defense at first is going to look, it's not going to look good, right? They're going to mess it up. They're, they're going to try to be figuring out how to apply what they saw to what you're doing. So after we get that kind of uh, repetitions in, now we can kind of go back and we can pause, we can see where the biggest weakness is, and now we can kind of break that down in more of what you would say is a blocked type drill or a more controlled type situation. Take some questions, we'll have a little conversation. Now we're gonna jump back, we're gonna play again. Then we're gonna move on. So if it's not perfect for that day, we got our repetitions in, we know what we need to work on for the next time, we'll, come, we'll get back to it uh, tomorrow if we feel like it's something that's super important. So there's a lot of give and take with it, a lot of uh, going back and, and maybe stopping it to to break something down if we need to, but it's mostly, it's playing first and then seeing where it is that we need to take a drill instead of just drilling and to get to where we play, if that makes sense. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love Huddle Assist. With Assist, you'll get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. An assist is more than just a box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com assist. That's huddle.com assist to find out more. Coach, really quickly, let me tell you about a brand new app called Wildcard. It's a social engagement platform specifically designed for youth sports teams. You, your players, their parents, people are going to love this thing. The app allows you to create virtual training programs, manage schedules, give player and game reports, and post player videos and highlights. 
I've checked out the platform and I highly recommend you give Wildcard a look. Especially in this climate with a lot of us having limited or even no contact with our players, Wildcard allows you to stay connected and build culture with your players through the use of technology. Right now, there's a special promotion for a quick timeout listeners. You can download and use the app for free, but you must do so within the first two weeks of the release of this episode. So check the link in the show notes to download and start using Wildcard with your team today. You're going to love it. Did you guys focus primarily on one side of the ball? Because I know sometimes even yeah. staffs that they may not have many coaches there that are able to help with this. Yeah. So do you guys just focus right. on offense independently, defensive independently, yeah. or are you teaching both so, at the same time? Yeah, so when I was coaching high school as an assistant, I was like the defensive guy and the head coach was the offensive guy. And so when we were doing these small-sided games, if we would say – so we try to combine it. So if we were to say pick and roll, we are working on pick and roll, then yeah, like I'm harping on those things. He's going to be harping on the offensive side. But if our emphasis was, listen, our our on our uh, ball screen defense really needs work, then I if I'm the defensive guy, I'm going to get the floor more so in that small sided game than the offensive coach would. So he may be saying little things here or there to the offense, but we're not really going to stop it and do a bunch of things with the offense if our focus for that time for that moment is ball screen defense and we want to get reps for our ball screen defense. And then what we can do is we can say, hey, listen, our ball screen defense is looking good, but our offense missed a ton of things. So tomorrow our our emphasis may be more on the ball screen offense. Um, I do think you can do both at the same time. I do think you can interject at the same time. I'm sure people already do that. Uh, when I was coaching college, I didn't have an assistant once I became an interim head coach. So I had to, I had to solely focus on one thing at a time. Um, otherwise, I was trying to watch 10 different things at one time, and it was just too hard for me to do. So I think it's really up to the staff and, and what they feel. And it's knowing your players as well. Uh, if you have a very savvy team, very smart team, you could probably do multiple things at a time. Mm-hmm. We didn't at the time. We, we had kids that were growing and learning. So we tried to focus more on one thing at a time. I, I feel like it's just a, just like in the, any other practice, any other scrimmage that you would be doing. Sometimes it can be difficult when you're by yourself to be able sure. to focus on on everything. Sure. So even having an extra pair of eyes. Right. But I also feel like even though maybe you aren't necessarily focusing on something, they're still getting better at it. Correct. And and that's the thing that I want to ask next, talking about the quantifiable differences. And it may not even be something that's the numbers associated with it outside of the wins. I, I don't mean just the wins sure. and the losses. What did you see that they're improving on? Like what what are they improving just, you know, in individual skills? Are they improving uh, in, in a team system? Uh, what is it that they're what exactly made it so much better from when you went from block to more of this random through small sided games? Yeah. So I think one of the big things was just the engagement. So, you know, I, I'm getting my master's right now in coaching. And one of the big things that that I'm taking from everything is, and it's 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 kind of common knowledge, I think, too, but it was really driven home by kind of the data is that players who are engaged with their repetitions are going to grow more um, and are going to improve at a, at a higher rate. So a lot of the block drills, players may be engaged for a couple reps, but the longer we do them and the more we do them, the less engaged they're going to become with those kind of traditional type drills. And so what we saw was just the engagement uh, with our repetitions. So we may have gotten less repetitions because obviously if you're playing three on three, you're getting up less shots per person or less passes than you would be if it was just me and you shooting in a gym or me and you passing each other in the gym. But they're going to, they're more meaningful repetitions. They're more engaged repetitions. And so just the engagement, I thought, improved our skill in a much more rapid way um, than, say, maybe a block traditional type stuff would do. 
And if you are doing block and let's say you're just focused on shooting, then you may see some improvement in, shoot, in just shooting, but you're only focusing on one thing. So you, you may get a wide open shot here or there where it's like, okay, these are going in now, but you're still missing out on so many things. And we were able to cover so many things in a day when you're just actually playing. You don't have to just focus on getting up 500 threes from, from all the different spots around the perimeter, right? Um, so the engagement, but the, the next thing that I've already kind of mentioned is that just the competitive drive uh, from this. So we saw our kids competing more. We saw them, they learn how to control their emotions better because you're playing in practice and we would we would put things on these games, right? Like the loser for the day that lost the most games had to stay after for extra conditioning, for example. So now you've got these these games, every single game, every single rep means something. And that can be emotional sometimes. It can be hard. It can be difficult. You've got kids arguing, trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to come back. So there's all this like mental and emotional aspect of it too that I thought uh, we were able to help our players kind of learn from and to grow as like emotional beings and people um, to be able to navigate these. So when we were getting the heat of competition, I never felt like when we were down, if we ever found ourselves down, that we were out of the game because I'd seen our kids fight and claw and scratch in practice to come back uh, from an early deficit. Let's say they lost the first three drills. All right. So now I've seen them claw back from that and they understood what it took to claw back from that. Um, so I think that was another huge uh, bonus to kind of a small sided games and, and competitive approach. I've actually seen as well. It, it's allowed us to teach both individual skills as well as the team stuff together sure. and kind of accelerate both of them. Right. And I think the sure. piece that we haven't mentioned, but we've kind of both of us know is the decision making. Like you, sure. You're able to replicate that, that you aren't with. It goes to your engaged point that a kid right. can very easily put it into autopilot and start working on a skill and right. never once become engaged mentally. And definitely they're not making decisions if they're just bouncing a ball and then making a pass after a couple of dribbles. Yeah, absolutely. And when you, when you think about the kind of the traditional approach where that decision-making piece is removed and we're just expecting that. So decision-making is extremely complex. As you and I both know, it's like this big mental process that is happening. All these things firing in the brain, it's extremely complex and it happens thousands of times per game. I mean, every, literally every second, the brain is trying to compute kind of what is happening, where people are, where, how fast they're moving, how slow they're moving. You know, they're trying to think of the scouting report and is this guy fast? Can he pick off this pass? Can he not? Can he get out here for my shot? Can he not? So all these decisions are, are being made. And then when you, when you go back and think about traditional practice, how all those things are suddenly removed, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of silly in a way to, to, mm -hmm. to have this idea that, we can just do these blocked practices and without playing these kind of games and competitive stuff and be better basketball players because of it. We may have a skill, we may develop some skill, but I would argue that skill that we're developing is not the same skill as a game. So shooting alone in the gym is not the same skill as shooting in a gym full of people with nine other people around you moving and dictating, you know, whether you should shoot it or not. Those are completely different skills. It may, it may help in a way, but it's still at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're very different skills because of the mental aspect all of a sudden it comes into play and all the things going on in the brain. So from your experience of running them at different levels with different, even different genders, I don't know if that, that matters at all, but what, what maybe is something that coaches don't either don't know about small sided games or yeah. maybe they could be doing differently or doing better. Yeah. So I think there's like three main misconceptions um, that I think, and that is, that you have to like build up skills before you can play these games. So we have to get in our fundamental stuff before we can play these games. We would just come in and we would start like five on five sometimes. I know that's not small sided, but we would jump right into five on five or three on three or four on two or whatever it was. 
And then we would kind of see where we were def more deficient, where we may need to break things down later or on another day. But the, the idea that you have to work on fundamental skills before you can get to this aspect of playing games, it's just, to me, it's just not correct. You, you are still, that's what we just said is that you're learning skills outside of the game context and you're still going to have to relearn them within the game context. So if we can just combine those things together, you know, it may be slower, it may feel slower, but ultimately in the long run, it's going to stick better. It's going to be, it's going to allow our players to reach uh, kind of more of their potential than they would be if we're just focused on these kind of drills before we can even get to the game. And, you know, I, one of the, one of my examples is if you think about Chris Oliver and basketball immersion, he has the BDT shooting where there's like decision-making before shooting. If you introduce that, I don't know if you've ever introduced it or coaches listening, if you know this, if you've introduced this to a, a shooter, if they're really great, they may not struggle, but a, a, just an average to above average shooter or below average shooter is going to completely botch a bunch of their early shots when they're having to look at you and then make a decision where to shoot. And I think that exposes a flaw, right? It exposes a flaw within their skill. They may have gotten up thousands of shots, but they haven't done it with that decision-making aspect. And all of a sudden it becomes different, a different skill. So this idea you have to build up, um, I think, um, or build skills before you can get to the games, I think is a misconception. And then the buildup of the idea that you have to do like 1VO to 1V1 to 2v2 to 3v3 or, or whatever i don't necessarily find that to be true i don't think learning is linear so it's okay if you want to play five on five and then go to three on two and then go to four on three or it's okay if you want to mix those things up depending on what you want to get out of your practice session and what you want to work on and then the last misconception i think is that i think when coaches maybe first get it they think and, and what i was guilty of this too is that we're just setting up the games now we're playing all right and then my job's done and my job is not done my job is to be reflecting the whole time about how can I change the constraints to make this uh, more beneficial for my team to folk to re shift the focus towards what I what we need to improve on and the and it's like a questioning component of this too so asking players questions why did you do this um, what did you see uh, let's recreate this recreate this scenario and sh show me where people were and what you were seeing so there's there's a there's a teaching aspect to it there's a questioning aspect to it it gets really kind of complicated at times. And I think it takes coaches a while to get where they feel comfortable asking the right questions and are able to ask the right questions uh, and able to kind of change the constraints as needed. So, yeah, I mean, that takes time. And there's still times in practice where I'm like, hey, you know what? I didn't do a good job of, of teaching in that segment. It's not just that we have these games, we put them in practice, and all of a sudden our players are just going to thrive and be better. There's still teaching that goes on. There's still breakdown things that have to happen. Um, but where you're allowing the game to be more of the teacher and the breakdown to be kind of the fallback instead. So. I know a lot of coaches wish that during games they would be able to stop and really actually give feedback. Sure. And you're like, well, we'll talk about that tomorrow practice. And it's by that point, it's, it's discontinued in the minds of the, the players. Whereas right. if you coach this way, you, you're afforded that opportunity where they're actually playing and now you're getting to break and give meaningful, meaningful feedback. And I've, I've felt too that it's almost improved my ability as a coach that when I get those opportunities and timeouts during a game, maybe my feedback is even better than because I've practiced it more frequently. Exactly. So yeah. I, it, it's, it's great practice for coaches as well, because you're going to have these competitive segments. And what we would do is we would, we would kind of try to break them into quarters sometimes or to halves. And then we would have our teams huddle up and they would have to kind of be talking amongst themselves. And that's what we want in games too, right? We want our players to be talking, to be huddling, to, be bouncing things off of each other. And then it gives us a chance to interact in that quick, short burst uh, in between what we're doing and then trying to get back on task and to take what we had in the huddle and then now apply it when we come back out. 
So there's that aspect of it too that that's kind of overlooked, I think, at times as well. Understanding that this is audio, obviously podcast, we can't sure. really see anything here. But maybe your favorite small side of games, it could be something like how you set it up or because of what it teaches. What are some of your favorites? Yeah, um, I think one of my favorites and one of the ones I get the most questions about and like requests for diagrams from is actually from Trevor Reagan at Train Ugly. He came up with a game called Two on Two Sideways. We've taken that concept and, and kind of evolved it. And I'll talk about that in a second. But essentially, uh, it's just what it sounds like. It's two on two playing on the main goal, side goal. So it's it's varying angles. But what you get is you get really quick transition opportunities and kind of shots at the rim. Um, so you're working on rebounding, you know, and the whoever doesn't get the rebound kind of busting out to the other goal and either just pushing it or quickly outletting it and then finding space. And so it's constrained space, so you really have to work hard to find that space, but you're also just getting this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth of shots at the rim, of quick rebound, outlet, shot at the rim, rebound, outlet, pu- or, you know, rebound, push, shot at the rim. And so we've also taken that and we played kind of between the, the big goal and the two side goals and kind of a triangle formation. So we are getting kind of the up and down full court, but we're also getting weird angles, transitioning from like a side goal to a main goal, where we have to go from being compact to getting back to our spacing. because. When I was teaching or coaching basketball, we we were very conceptual in our offense. So we didn't have set spots you had to go. It was just more about spacing and cutting and moving. And so that really helped us with our spacing dynamics. So utilizing kind of those side goals, uh, we would also play kind of a long way, like three on three between, um, if you have the side goals between the two side goals, so it's kind of a shorter court, you're getting more rep- repetitions that way. And you can get two teams going at the same time right on each side. Um, so I get my point in saying those is that it doesn't have to be fancy in what you're doing. I know a lot of people want to have, you know, and I, and I have some and I'm you know willing to share those, but like they want like documents of all these small set of games already made out. But like I said, what we would do is we would come in and say, what do we need to work on? How can we do that out of like a four on four or a three on three or two on two? Is there a way we can do those actions specifically? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always have to be necessarily some sort of game that someone was super creative and came up with, although there's plenty of those out there and they're all great and awesome. It can be as simple as, all right, we're going to play five on four advantage uh, to the offense and work on our offense, you know, five on four, five on three setting. And then as we transition to the other side, we'll have two people run out, two people run in. Now it's five on three going the other way. And, you know, so it doesn't have to be uh, anything crazy, uh, but the two on two sideways and playing a three on three kind of between the triangular formation are two of my favorites. And one of my last favorites that I'll throw out is what we would call four on four continuous. And essentially it's just two teams. You know, I used to keep 16 on JV, so I could do literally four, two, two teams of eight on each baseline line in lines of four. And uh, you know, team would come down, try to score on your goal. If you get a stop, you get to push it back the other way against them. And you are just playing like regular basketball rules. If you get scored on your team, you know, you're guarding your basket, your next team of four comes on and now they, ha- they get to play. So you don't get to play. Essentially, if you get scored on, you got to come out. Um, and I thought that was a great way um, to build a little bit of defensive pride as well. But if you don't have 16, it's a great way to communicate too, because if you get scored on and you got to get four new people on the floor, but you only got two subs, you got to figure out who's staying on and what you need to stay on. And in that moment, there's a lot of talking to be able to quickly transition and get who we need to get on the floor on the floor. So the four on four continuous um, was another great way. Uh, one of the games that our kids absolutely love to play um, every single day, um, just for the communication and the competitiveness factor. So. Yeah, you said it. I, it doesn't have to be fancy, and I think coaches are looking for these 
something that's going to be like magical smalls there you can make them up whatever your offense is i think that's the the advantage yep. of it is the fact that it doesn't matter if you're running re and react or right. some conceptual offense or i don't care flex offense like yep. you, you can, you can always you break it to. down yeah you can yeah. break it any part of your offense down into a small sided game and then execute those things you know within a game like setting which I feel like a lot of coaches like have been so close to doing that already because they've they've been breaking down parts of their yeah. offense for years or their defense for years anyways. Sure. But, you know, put it now into a, a game and the constraints. This is the last thing that I'll ask you. We, we didn't talk about this, but what are some ways that you, those constraints that you use or to make it more competitive other than just, all right, we're going to keep score. Yeah. And actually I want to talk about the score thing real quick too, before I get to that. And it's the, that, that, it may not be what's best for your team. So you may have kids. So like there were years where we had kids who they would not actually attempt new things within a small side of game because they were so worried about losing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't want them to be afraid of losing and you, you got to work on that aspect. But there were days like if we really just were like, Hey, we really need to focus on just improving this skill today. then we may not be as competitive that day. We may, we'll still play the small sided game, but we're not going to necessarily keep scoring wins and losses for everything. And we may reward points for, like let's say for JVs, we have some weaker kids who may be worried about skipping, but that's actually the right thing to do in certain situations. If they skip it and it gets stolen, but it was, hey, that's the right decision. Maybe you just didn't quite execute and get enough muscle behind it. I'm still rewarding. You know, I may give you a plus one or something in that regards for uh, just attempting the right thing or off the pick and roll kind of a pocket pass. All right. So like, I really need you guys to be working on that today, really getting that pocket pass off the pick and roll. But they're too worried about throwing it because a turnover means the other team's going to score and maybe take the lead and win the game. I got to stay after and do extra conditioning, right? So you got to really know your team on that and know what days to kind of really implement that and not to. You know, for us, it was like, what, what do we want to work on? So if 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 we're over dribbling, it may be that we limit our dribbles to to two to two or three dribbles, and they they have to go towards the rim, so they can't just be wasted dribbles. That would be a, a constraint if you have teams that you feel like over dribble. You know, some some coaches believe or don't believe. This is a hot topic about whether you should just restrict dribbles all together and say, hey, we can only pass. Um, we we would do that sometimes. We felt like we were over dribbling. Hey, we're we're going to play some full court five on five. No, you know, no dribbling. And while we're working now, that drill becomes about working on our passing. Other constraints you can have, like we we would have certain years where we would have like ball dominant players who were just could get anything they wanted against ourselves because they were the best player on our team, right? So now all of a sudden, um, all right, Jordan, you can only score on uh, you know mid range pull ups, or you can only score at the rim, or you can only score off a kick out three. So Jordan is now focused instead of scoring on his – he's worried about, about facilitating and working on that aspect of his game instead of doing what he can already do. So if you have certain players, you may constrain them in a certain way um, as well. And I would actually challenge coaches to do that for your best players. There's a way that you can constrain what it is that they're the best at and get every time in practice and say, hey, you can't score that way this, on, on this round that we're playing. Uh, you got to find a different way to score. Or you tell them secretly, hey, Jordan, you can't score this drill. Mm -hmm. Now, the other team doesn't know that, but Jordan knows he can't score this drill. And so now they're working on things, but your defense still has to play it honest, right? So um, constraints are whatever you want to make them um, and whatever you feel like you need to take away or add or manipulate, like the court size, for example. If you're horrible on the left side, you may have a little small side game where you're transitioning to the left side every time and just working on that left side. So it's whatever you want to make out of them. Um, it can be something super small or it could be something drastic that you're changing. And I would encourage coaches, you can do it in the middle of a drill too. Do you feel like you really got something down, but you're still not working on this aspect? All right, we're not working on this right now. We're taking this part away. So now we got to find a new solution um, on how we want to be able to score without this strength. Um, and we're working on something that we need to work on.
very similar to that. Just a couple more ideas, but like how, how many times we work with, let's say we have like, a, we want to work on the post player, either getting the ball or like going and doubling the, the post or something like that. And the ball never touches the post. So you say, right. you know, every possession you have to have at least one post touch or two yeah. post touches. Right. Or you, you get know. uh you get four points. If you score off a possession with a post touch, everything else worth two, is worth two, you know, yeah. or something like that. Or transition. We used to say, Hey, if, if you kick the ball before half court and we score on that possession, like, um, yeah. you know, or if we score within a certain amount of time, we get double the points or whatever. So I will say too, something that an added benefit to that is I almost never have to coach that because it still goes, kids still don't get a post touch, but right. I'm not the one that's correcting it. Their teammates right. start correcting each other because they exactly. just, you know, and now that's where you're getting back to the mental engagement side. They're more mentally engaged, understanding they're being deliberate about what they want to work on instead of just going out there like, oh, we're just going to play, I'm going to play. Like you're making it to where they have to be deliberate. And deliberate practice, you and I both know this deliberate practice where we're focused on improving a certain aspect. Deliberate practice is like the key to, to skill development. You have to be deliberate with what you're doing. So. For sure. Yeah. Well, uh, co college coaches, if you're listening to this too, shot clock. I mean, you can do yep. eight seconds, you know, four seconds, you got to do this or whatever. So right. yeah, those are some, those are some great, great ideas. Um, I would like to, we'll talk about this, but to get together something, maybe it can be something small to kind sure. of spark ideas. So it could be a couple different diagrams of just our favorite small side sure. games or something like that. We'll make yeah, that available. Absolutely. Down in the show show notes afterwards. But then also, if people want to ask you maybe some questions further about this or check out what you're doing and connect with you, where would be the best place for them to do that? Yeah, um, I'm pretty active on on Twitter. So at Coach Fernandez one is my Twitter account. That's just at Coach Fernandez one um, is my Twitter account, and uh, my my uh, DMs and everything are open. I'm I'm always up to talk. Uh, hoops. So uh, I've, I've met a lot of great people since I, I did my clinic. I did a clinic obviously back in the spring. And uh, ever since then, I've met so many great people, so many great minds that I've learned from people who were seeking advice from me. I've learned a ton uh, reciprocal, you know, asking them questions. So I'm always open on there um, to, to talk with hoops. So. And that course is available too on CoachTube, correct? It is available on CoachTube. Um, you just you know search you know Aaron Fernandez small sided games. I'm sure it'll come up, and it's uh, I've I've got it posted on my Twitter a couple of times as well. It's five dollars for the full clinic that I did of all my favorite small sided games and some kind of coaching philosophy type stuff on there. You know, I think uh, I think five dollars to me that's that's pretty pretty darn good deal that's for what good. you get out of it. So um, I definitely encourage, and I've had a lot of people purchase it and, and great feedback from it. And uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely something I would I would appreciate if uh, you guys want to check that out. So. I'll be sure to link that as well down yeah, below awesome. in the show notes, so people can click appreciate on that and purchase it right there. That's Coach Aaron Fernandez. Coach, man, tons of tons of great information. I'll even go back and listen to this several different times. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely, Coach. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out. Thank you.